Welcome to the Jerusalem Jones Podcast. I'm Dr. Ken Hansen, a.k.a. Jerusalem Jones of Treasures in Time. That's my company, and this is my podcast. I'm a bit of a thespian, so let me bring history to life with a pinch of theatrical flair. Don't forget to subscribe as we plow into the past. This series is called Dig Deeper, the Untold Stories of Biblical Archaeology. Episode 13, Digging Up Jesus. Let's have a look at some things you might not know about how archaeology weighs in on the historical Jesus, whose real name in Hebrew was Yeshua. Just think, if Indiana Jones could search for the Holy Grail, what do you suppose we can come up with? To begin, what about the tradition that Jesus was born in a little town in Judea as related by the Gospels and recounted every year during the Christmas season? Was Yeshua really born in Bethlehem? Can archaeologists find the site? According to the New Testament, Joseph and Mary journeyed to Bethlehem to be registered in an imperial census, at which time Mary gave birth to a child she named Yeshua. Three centuries later, the mother of the Roman Emperor Constantine, Helena Augusta, arrived in the Holy Land looking for sacred places connected with Yeshua. When told that a pagan shrine covered the actual cave of the nativity, she ordered it demolished and a new church built on the spot. Today, Christians still make pilgrimage to the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. Bear in mind, there isn't any real archaeological evidence that Yeshua was born in the grotto beneath Helena's church. But neither can we rule out the centuries of tradition associating the nativity with Bethlehem. And thanks to 20th century excavations undertaken by a group of Franciscan friars, we have evidence that the grottos underneath the church were in fact used for stabling and storage as far back as the first century. Unfortunately, Today's archaeology has run afoul of politics and the ongoing Middle East conflict as the Church of the Nativity is closed to further excavation. What might you deduce, Sherlock? It's elementary, my dear Watson. Indeed, archaeology has come across another candidate for the birth of Yeshua, namely Bethlehem of Galilee, a town within easy walking distance of Nazareth. It would certainly have been easier for Joseph to have escorted Mary to a neighboring village than to a town in Judea, one hundred miles away. And with the recent discovery of first-century stone vessels and utensils in this precise location, the Galilean Bethlehem just might be the place. 
While there's little we can say with certainty about Bethlehem, there's one city we can definitely link with Yeshua, assuming that he was a historical figure. Of course, we're talking about his hometown, a place called Nazareth, in an area known as the region, in Hebrew, Hagalil, the Galilee. Neither Mary nor any of her family, including her most famous son, can be understood without appreciating the character of this strategic and culturally baffling region. The one thing that can be said with certainty about the Galilee, the northern district of the ancient land of Israel, is that it completely defies modern stereotypes. It was by no means a pastoral menagerie of green pastures, quiet landscapes, and babbling brooks. It was considered a troublesome region by all, including Jerusalemites and Judeans in general, who frequently denigrated their unruly neighbors to the north. From the Roman point of view, this land was almost useless from an economic standpoint. It was not only remote, but much of it was barren. And unlike other Roman conquests, the native population, far from being docile peasants, were literate and had a highly developed military, religious, and cultural background, and regarded the mighty Romans as their intellectual inferiors. Today, Nazareth is the largest Arab town in all of Israel. But ancient settlements go all the way back to the Bronze Age. We also find ancient tombs from the Hasmonean period. The city was certainly abandoned in 720 before the Common Era. At the time of the Assyrian conquest of the northern ten Israelite tribes. The question is, was Nazareth inhabited at all in Yeshua's day? That question appears to have been answered in 2009, when archaeological remains from the time of Yeshua in the early Roman period were unearthed. In 1997, ancient terraces, a wine press, and assorted pottery all dating from the first century, were identified. A passage in Mark chapter 12, in which Yeshua mentions watchtowers, has long been doubted as historically inaccurate. But first century watchtowers have now been found in the exact vicinity of Nazareth. Today, there is so much support for Nazareth as a first-century city that some even speculate that Yeshua may have been born there and not in Bethlehem at all. Bethlehem, after all, was the hometown of King David. So the New Testament writers may simply have been trying to link Yeshua with David. Those are the kind of issues we confront all the time. Just over the hill from Nazareth lay the prosperous cosmopolitan city of 
Sephorus. Unexcavated until recent decades, it has yielded a wealth of information as to just how sophisticated Galileans really were. From prosperous homes to ritual immersion baths or mikvehs, mikveot in Hebrew, to a Roman theater carved into the hillside to an elaborate mosaic floor depicting a woman of unusual charm dubbed the Mona Lisa of the Galilee. Sephorus is an archaeological bonanza that has revolutionized our understanding of the northern region of Israel. Make no mistake, we can't pretend to understand the people of Nazareth, including the family of Yeshua, without appreciating this prosperous city next door. Sephorus may in fact have given employment to the family of Yeshua. Any further deductions, Sherlock? Uh, we, we should, Watson, at least consider the question of the kind of employment we're talking about. Were they all carpenters, as the Gospels have led many to believe? Perhaps, though, the word for carpenter, nagar, actually means joiner, and could equally refer to one who cut and joined limestone ashlars, like those used in nearby Sephoris. Many Nazareans may have commuted on a regular basis to Sephoris to earn their sustenance, but far from living in pastoral tranquility, Joseph and family had to put up with the cold reality of what the Galilee was becoming, a land smarting under the harshness of direct Roman rule and brimming with an increasing number of zealots. Another town mentioned in the Gospels as a place frequented by Yeshua is called Bethsaida, or Bethsaida, long considered lost to history. But back in 1838, famed archaeologist and father of biblical archaeology, Edward Robinson, excavated a site known as Et-Tel, about one and a half miles from the Sea of Galilee. First century ruins were identified, and everything seemed consistent with the New Testament account, except for one detail. It was supposed to be located on the shore of the lake, not inland. The problem was resolved when it was discovered that the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee had actually shifted over the last two millennia. Back in the days of Yeshua, Et-Tel would in fact have been on the shoreline. Then there's the so-called Jesus Boat, an ancient craft discovered in 1986 when two brothers from an Israeli kibbutz noticed some wood protruding from the mud during an extended drought. 
an amazing preservation effort was launched to retrieve the boat from the muddy shoreline and eventually bring it to a museum. It was made of cedar with mortise and tenon joints, meaning that it could be dated without question to the first century. It could easily have held 13 passengers and some have hailed it as a craft that Yeshua might have sailed in. Such a conclusion will never be possible to verify, but at least it's consistent with certain details in the Gospels about Yeshua's contact with Galilean fishermen. Perhaps the most compelling archaeological evidence of the historical Yeshua can be found in the place said to be his headquarters, called Kfar Nahum in Hebrew, or Capernaum. Here we have an authentic first century town that's been remarkably excavated. A century ago, Edward Robinson identified the remains of an ancient synagogue at the site, a synagogue explicitly mentioned in the Gospel narratives. Today we know it's a fourth century synagogue, but if we look carefully, we see that it rests on a basalt foundation and that an earlier synagogue at this spot is the one that Yeshua and his disciples would have been well familiar with. The site also teaches us a lot about ancient synagogues because the door faces Jerusalem. In modern synagogues, it's the other way around. The ark housing the Torah faces Jerusalem. By contrast, in Second Temple times, there was no permanent ark. Instead, the sacred scrolls were placed in a portable chest that was rolled into place. Capernaum was later purchased from the Bedouin by the Franciscans, who conducted impressive excavations from 1905 to 1991. Among their finds was a 5th century octagonal Byzantine church with a house church beneath. What say ye, Sherlock? <clears throat> Could this be the actual house of the disciple known as Peter? The archaeology revealed that the walls had been plastered by the end of the second century. Ancient fishing instruments were found within, and Aramaic graffiti had been scrawled there by the third century. But others have called all that into question, arguing that the plaster may date to the fourth century and that the graffiti may not be Aramaic at all, but Greek. That might mean that the traditions linking the church to Peter's actual house might have developed centuries after the fact, casting doubt on whether Peter ever lived here at all. Among other places connected with Jesus' research, we have a site on the east side of the Jordan River with three 
5th to 6th century Byzantine churches. A skull was found there as well, leading some to speculate that this marks the spot of the headquarters of John the Baptist. Of course, there was no such thing as Christian baptism. What was being practiced was Jewish ritual immersion to attain ritual purity. Approaching the city of Jerusalem from the east, we have the ancient city of Bethany, which was indeed a second temple site of New Testament fame. The house of Simon the leper was said to be here, along with the tomb of Lazarus, who Yeshua was said to have raised from the dead. Sure enough, there is a fourth century church here next to a rock tomb, but there are no benches or niches in the tomb as we find in the first century. So while Yeshua may have visited this town, archaeology tells us that the sites associated with it are without question bogus. All of this brings us to Jerusalem itself. Yeshua would certainly have been familiar with Herod's temple and the Temple Mount, the last great vestige of which is the Western Wall, revered by Jews today as the holiest site in Judaism. Thoughts, Sherlock? Indeed, Watson. What about sites of Christian pilgrimage, such as the House of the Last Supper, on Mount Zion. Large ashlar blocks dating from the first century are in fact part of the structure. Might there have been an ancient inn or tavern renting rooms here? Consequently, some ask, might there have been a first century synagogue here? Perhaps a Christian synagogue or even a house church? But archaeology tells us that the wall is actually Byzantine and that the Herodian blocks were simply reused in building it. So the House of the Last Supper wasn't there at all in Yeshua's day, leading some to question whether there ever was a so-called Last Supper of Jesus. We should also mention such locations as the Garden of Gethsemane, where Yeshua supposedly went on the night he was betrayed. The Synoptic Gospels mention Gethsemane, and the Gospel of John mentions a garden. So the two get conflated as the Garden of Gethsemane. Then there's the so-called House of Caiaphas, the high priest said to have interrogated Yeshua. A church today marks the spot, but it's likely bogus. Another candidate might be a set of ruins near Mount Zion's Church of the Dormition, discovered in the 1970s and bearing frescoes with many images. As for Caiaphas himself, an ossuary discovered in 1990 bears the name 
Joseph, son of Caiaphas. In it were found six sets of bones, possibly including those of Caiaphas himself. It's a major discovery and today resides in the Israel Museum of Jerusalem. Any other deductions, Sherlock? Of course, Watson. Another important sight has to do with the spot on which Pontius Pilate tried Yeshua, the so-called Praetorium. Did this happen in the Antonia Fortress, part of Herod's great Temple Mount complex? That's where pilgrims flock to this day. But there's another location, identified only recently along the ancient wall of King Herod's palace near Jaffa Gate. The steps remain and may be the actual place where Yeshua of Nazareth was condemned to be crucified. What about the tomb of Yeshua, considered the holiest site in Christendom and known today as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? Authentic or bogus? Well, the dome is modern, but the pillars are original, dating back to the Emperor Constantine. The early Christian historian Eusebius wrote of the journey of Constantine's mother, Helena, then 80 years old, as she searched for Yeshua's tomb. The locals told her that it was beneath a pagan temple to Aphrodite, built by Hadrian, which she promptly had torn down. Helena was said to have found tombs beneath it, and Constantine ordered the church built. It was dedicated in the year 335. An underground chapel commemorates Helena's discovery of the true cross, certainly bogus. But the tombs are authentically from the first century and apparently carved into an area used as a rock quarry in Herod's day. Various tombs are still to be seen in the basement of the church. With the tomb revered as that of Yeshua smack in the center and venerated above all. Is this bogus? Well, we certainly can't be sure that this was Yeshua's tomb, but archaeology bears out that this was definitely the general area. Sometimes archaeology does cast doubt. Other times it reassures us that we are on solid ground. Archaeologists use the spade and the trawl. They have no theological axes to grind. The stones we uncover don't tell lies, and we have to come to grips with whatever conclusions they lead us to. That's the challenge and the beauty of it all. Thank you.